Welcome. We hope you enjoy this recording from Christ City Church, based in Dublin, Ireland. For more podcasts and information on the church, please visit ChristCityChurch.ie. Thank you for listening. Read along from 2 Samuel 7. After the king was settled in his palace and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, he said to Nathan the prophet, Here I am, living in the house of Cedar, while the ark of God remains in its tent. Nathan replied to the king, Whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it, for the Lord is with you. But that night the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David. This is what the Lord says, Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I have been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their rulers, whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, and appointed you ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men on earth. And I will provide a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people shall not oppress them anymore as they did at the beginning and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod wielded by men, with floggings inflicted by human hands. But my love will never be taken away from him, as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom shall endure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Nathan reported to David all the words of this entire revelation. Thank you, Margaret. Great. Uh, Lovely to be here. Lovely to have you here. If you're visiting or first time, uh, particularly welcome. Let's take a moment and be silent. I'll pray and then we'll get going. Lord, as our world contemplates, or certainly Ireland contemplates, opening up and that there's a physical freedom maybe and a a return to some kind of normality, we want to be more attentive to your spirit's work in our lives and more open to you and more excited about you and what you're doing than we are about what's going on around us, as grave as that is, that we can start to head back to some kind of normality. So we pray now by your Holy Spirit for each person in every living room, in every bedroom, in every car, wherever people are watching and engaging with this, that Holy Spirit, you would be working in our hearts, softening our hearts, opening our eyes, warming our hearts, encouraging us, and that your word would do its work in us, that we might bear fruit for the glory of Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Okay. Louis the Fourteenth uh, was um, ruled in France from the 14th of May, 1643, for you historians, to his death in 1715. 
He reigned 72 years and 110 days, the longest recorded of any monarch of a sovereign country in European history. He won many awards, established the luxurious palace at Versailles, which you can still visit today, or just go to the gardens for a lot cheaper, uh, as I did. He was one of the most powerful French monarchs in history, but it was violence and oppression with which he united France and beat the surrounding nations. He was known as, or wanted to be known as, Louis the Great, or the Sun King. When Louis XIV was planning his funeral, he asked that the Cathedral of Notre Dame in Paris, which has been in the news for all the wrong reasons in the last few years, to be darkened except for one candle resting on his casket at the front of the church. They followed his instructions down to the letter. And when the court preacher, Massillon, rose to give the funeral sermon, he strode over to the casket and snuffed out the candle and started his sermon with these words. Only God is great. Dieu soit est grand, in my worst French accent. My wife is laughing in the other room. Only God is great. Human kings, emperors, presidents, prime ministers, T-shocks, CEOs can very easily begin to believe their own pub the publicity and, and, and conceive themselves as indispensable on the world stage. But history shows that all human leaders and the civilizations, empires, kingdoms, republics, and businesses they lead, they all eventually come to an end and pass away. All of them. I recently visited Greece and marveled at ancient Greek civilization, which, is dominate, which dominated the world after Alexander the Great established the largest empire of the, the ancient world had ever seen. Famously, the uh, Greeks uh, beat the Persians, who were the mega power before them. And the Persians beat the Babylonians, who were the mega power before them. And the Babylonians beat the Assyrians, who were the mega power before them. And after the Greeks, don't forget, in the golden age of the Greek empire in 146 BC, the Romans came and beat the Greeks and conquered them and established an even bigger empire than what the Greeks had. But to the amazement of everyone, at the beginning of the fifth century, the world shook. 410 Alaric crosses the river and even Rome, the great city and the great empire of Rome fell. All kings, all kingdoms, however great, however powerful, they all come and they all go, except one. There was a kingdom established around 1000 BC, which we've just read about from Margaret, as Margaret read it to us in 2 Samuel 7, a kingdom established by God through the shepherd king David, a kingdom that has never fallen and never will. As Massillon said, only God is great. And so 2 Samuel is one of the most important passages in the whole Bible. I would go as far as to say you will struggle to understand the Bible if you have not understood 2 Samuel 7, because here we learn for the first time God's promise to establish a kingdom through the line of David. It is 2 Samuel 7 where we learn about this idea of the kingdom of God, which had become central to Jesus' teaching, Jesus came proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, the good news that the rule and reign of God had come. And in 1 
we first understand this idea of God's rule on earth in 2 Samuel 7. So we're going to learn three things about the kingdom of God from 2 Samuel 7. The kingdom is graciously given. The kingdom is indestructible. And the kingdom is at hand. The kingdom is graciously given. Let me put things in context. 2 Samuel, chapters 1 to 6, and the end of 1 Samuel are all about David being established firmly as king. Saul, his predecessor, has died. So David is now publicly and officially recognized as the anointed king. He unites the houses of Saul and David and establishes peace within Israel. He defeats the Palestines and the Jebusites. He then takes over Jerusalem and establishes Jerusalem as the center of the kingdom. And he builds an enormous and wonderful cedar palace uh, helped by the king of Tyre, which he can live in. Through some tribulation, which Dustin took us through last week, he's able to bring the Ark of the Lord into Jerusalem again and be established. The Ark represent, represented the presence of God with his people. So David has united the kingdom, established himself, established Jerusalem, and has brought the presence of God back to the city of God. And so we read in chapter 7, verses 1 to 3, after the king was settled in the palace and the Lord had given him rest from all the enemies around him, he said to Nathan the prophet, here I am living in a house of cedar while the ark of the Lord remains in a tent. Nathan replied to the king, whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it for the Lord is with you. So David's in his own lovely cedar house, palace, and he desires to build a house for the Lord, a temple where the presence of God could dwell. And Nathan, the prophet, the prophets and kings always work together, said, do whatever's on your heart. And there's three, three surprising things that happen as the narrative unfolds. Three surprising things. The first surprise is that the prophet is wrong. Nathan is wrong. Nathan said, go and do what's on your heart. And actually, what we find out about in verse 5 is not what's on David's heart, but Nathan needs to tell David what's on God's heart. Go tell my servant David. This is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? And the answer is no. He's not the one. It's going to be David's descendant, Solomon, who will build the house, not David. The second surprise is that there's a reversal of plans or reversal of ideas. So David wanted to build a house for the Lord and God then says, I'm gonna build you a house. Not a physical one, a dynasty, a, a descendants, a, a reign, a rule. And in verse nine, he, he makes an astonishing promise. He says, uh, oh, excuse me, my, uh, oh, I have, uh, my PowerPoint's not quite worked. He says, uh, I'm gonna make your name like the greatest names of the men on earth. So he's going to make David's name great, bigger than anyone else's name. And he goes on to say, I'm going to provide a place and a home for Israel to rest. You're not going to be disturbed by your enemies. You'll have rest and peace. And so he says, the Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish the house for you. It's amazing. We start with David's desire to build God a house. That is reversed. And, we, and instead of what's on God, David's heart, we find out what's on God's heart, which is I'm going to build you a house, a dynasty, a kingdom that we will last forever. And the third surprise, and I'm sure my number one is going to turn up, my one, 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 my one, two, three, my third point is God says he doesn't need a house. He doesn't need a house. Did you see that? 
Verse 6, 6 and 7, I've not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I've been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, why have you not built me a house of cedar? In other words, God is saying, I've always been on the move. I lived in a tent in the desert. Do you remember I just used to go and my presence went with, my presence went with the people? I've never settled down, God is saying. God never settles down. I've never needed or wanted a house. A tent has been fine, David. And in verses 8 to 10, God then retells the story of taking this shepherd boy to becoming king of Israel and defeating all his enemies. In other words, God is saying to David, I don't need your help and I've never needed your help. It's not that David's desire to build a house for God is wrong, but God wants to be clear that it is not David doing something wonderful for God. It is God doing something wonderful for David. And so we learn that the kingdom of God is always God's initiative from start to finish. And we are the undeserving recipients. We haven't earned it. It's not our idea. It's not something we build. The kingdom of God is graciously given at his initiative. You see, it's easy, isn't it, for us to be like David, isn't it? I'm going to do something great for God. And we need to learn the answer is no. God is going to do something great for you. And anything great we may or may not do for God in the end is all because he started something before we, we were even getting going. It's always God's initiative. It's graciously given. It's not what we do for God. It's what he's done for us. It's not us saving or rescuing or providing or building something for God. It is God saving and rescuing and providing and building something for us. Only God is great. And we might have some great desires for God. David had a great desire. It wasn't a wrong desire. But often our dreams and our plans and our desires for God, we think they're focused on God, don't we? But who often is the center? Of those desires often it's us isn't it and often God comes to us and says I see what's on your heart and often it's very pleasing to God but he says I want you to know what's on my heart and what's on my heart will trump what's on your heart and sometimes what's in your heart won't ever come to be even though you're thinking about me if you want to be part of my kingdom God says you want my rule to come and invade your hearts what he desires has to come over what you desire even if what you desire in theory is about building something for him. It's always his initiative and we receive it. Modern church circles, we have this idea that we're building something for God. Uh, and we're the ones who are going to take some great task of the kingdom. And often it means that Christianity and following Jesus, our king, can feel heavy and hard. I've got all this stuff to do. God wants me to do it. And I've got to go and build the kingdom. And all the great Christians in history have done it. And, and suddenly we're this hopeless. And no, 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 no. From the outset, God says to David, you're a recipient, not a builder of the kingdom. That's what Greg read in his call to worship. Sorry, my slides are going the wrong way. Since you are receiving, see that word? A kingdom that cannot be shaken. Let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. We're not building the kingdom. We are receiving it. And our response, look what the verse says, thankfulness, worship, reverence and awe. 
because only God is great. And the moment you realize you are a recipient and not a builder of the kingdom is the moment everything changes in your heart. The pressure, the weight, the burden, the expectation to do something great for God, to earn your way somehow in the kingdom, to establish a name for him or, or for yourself, it's gone. God is in charge, not me. It's freeing. It's liberating. The moment we stop being in control and stop trying to achieve great things for God, the weight is off our shoulders and we can receive the kingdom of God and allow him to do great things in and through us. It's his work. He might do something great in you, but it's him doing it, not you doing it. Because you receive the kingdom. You don't build it. It's the humble who he exalts. It's the one who says, I'm not doing anything great for God. God has done great things for me. That's the one he will use. If COVID-19 is teaching us anything, and I hope it has taught us stuff as we come out of this season, it's that we're not in control, are we? And that the kingdom of this, of this world, the kingdoms of this world do shake. And the political leaders of this world do not have the power to rescue and provide peace, security, rest, and a home, and all the things we desire. They cannot guarantee our futures. But what God promised David in 1000 BC was a kingdom where all those things, peace, security, rest, and a home are true and are received by faith. We are the recipients. The kingdom is graciously given. Secondly, the kingdom is indestructible. The promises God gives David in verses 12 to 16 are astonishing. They go like this. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up from your, your offspring to succeed you and your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house in my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I'll be his father, and he'll be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with the rod wielded by men, with floggings inflicted by human hands. But my love will never be taken away from him, as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom shall endure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Three times, God says, forever. This kingdom is indestructible. Notice there's three things that will not destroy the kingdom of God, that destroy all other kingdoms. The three things are, the first thing that will not destroy the kingdom of God is death. Because even after David's death, God will raise up another and another and another forever. Death will not end this kingdom. Sin will not end it. Did you see that in verse 14? Yes, God will punish future kings that mess up. But verse 15, God's love will never be taken away from David. He took his love away from Saul, didn't he? He, he removed his presence from Saul and it departed from Saul and because and, and, and Saul messed up. But God is saying something different to David. He says, even if you or your descendants mess up, ultimately my love will never be taken because I'm making this covenant with you now. Death will not end this kingdom. Sin will not end this kingdom. And finally, time. Verse 16, your throne will be established forever. The kingdom of God will last forever. All other human kingdoms, all other rulers and kings and emperors and Taoiseachs and whatever else names we give our leaders, in the end, they're destroyed, aren't they? By sin, by death, or by time. All human kingdoms fall and all their leaders fall, but not the kingdom that God established and promised through David and his descendants. Only God is great. And by the way, God did make David's name great, didn't he? 
Yes, we've heard of Ashburnipal of Assyria. Yes, we've heard of Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. Yes, we've heard of Alexander of Greece, and we've heard of Augustus of Rome. But we've also all heard, and the whole world has heard, and history has heard, of David, king of Israel, the youngest son of Jesse, the shepherd king, the little boy. Everyone knows the name of David. And God promised he'd make his name great, and he honored that promise. God's promise has come true. This kingdom is indestructible. And you might be thinking, wait a minute. Did God keep his promise? David's kingdom, yeah, it lasted 400 years, but in 587 BC, the Babylonians did come and destroy it, and Nebuchadnezzar did come and sack Jerusalem, and he took the people off to exile for 70 years. The kingdom did end, and when we read about the return from exile in Ezra and Nehemiah, and, and, and the, it never really returned. The kingdom never really returned. And if you read the Old Testament prophets, this is, this is the tension that they're trying to figure out the later prophets. There's a promise of an everlasting kingdom, but before my eyes or in hindsight as it's happened, the kingdom is or has been destroyed. Like, how, how can it be? Is God's promise being fulfilled? I am personally just reading the book of Jeremiah in my personal devotions. And in Jeremiah 22, God pronounces judgment on the three final kings that sat on David's throne, Jehoiakim. Jehoiachin and Zedekiah. It's a great mouthful. They rebelled against God. They fell into idolatry and immorality and therefore the kingdom of Israel fell to Babylon under God's judgment and his punishment. Chapter 22 of Jeremiah. Chapter 23, we read this. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is right and just in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called the Lord our righteous savior. And so the promise still stands. How would it be fulfilled? Do you remember that other great Old Testament prophecy that is read every Christmas? For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establish and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Another king will come, a descendant of David, great David's greater son. And he would not just be a king, he'd be a temple. He'd bring the presence of God to earth. God would dwell on earth and he would find a home, but it, it wouldn't be a static home. He'd, like in the desert, he'd walk the streets of Jerusalem, calling the people to know peace and rest and joy and hope and love in his kingdom as they submitted to him as king. He'd be God's son in nature and in role. He'd rule as God rules with justice, righteousness, wisdom, mercy, love, and truth. And as he walked through the streets of Jerusalem, ruling as king and bringing God's kingdom, what would he say? The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is near. 
It's available for all those who would repent and believe and submit to him as king. This wasn't a political kingdom. This wasn't an earthly kingdom. This wasn't a kingdom that came by force and violence and oppression like the kingdoms of this world. This was the kingdom of heaven, a kingdom where God establishes his rule in the hearts of people. And as we let go of our own kingdoms and we recognize that only God is great, we would receive the kingdom gracious, by his gracious initiative through faith. And we'd know peace and we'd know rest, and we'd finally have a home in him. As King Jesus would beat death. So if you know him, you can live forever and be part of the kingdom forever. He would beat sin, which means that when you mess up like Saul and like David and like David's descendants, you're not cast out of the kingdom. You're forgiven. You're kept in. His faithful love to David you can claim that. It's your promise too. And this king would be eternal. The passing of time would not affect him. To Jesus, all the civilizations of this earth, all the empires, all the leaders that have come and gone are but a blip. He is eternal. All of the other, all of history is as but a size of a gnat compared to Jesus. Time. It's like a thousand years is like a day and a day is like a thousand years. This king is the same yesterday, today and forever. And as king, Jesus would always be on the move. Like in the wilderness, he'd walk with his people. He'd never settled down. You can't box this king in. You can't house him and say, here's where you stay. He's always on the move. His kingdom is always at hand. And so just as David came to God with a desire in his heart, today we learn about God's desire. Not that we build his kingdom, that we receive his kingdom, even in all the troubles in our dark world and COVID-19 and the racial tensions that have been revealed in our world and everything else that's happening in your life personally. Do not think for a moment God is not building his kingdom in you. There's an opportunity to receive it. Are you open? All the ups and downs of life, all the ups and downs of our earthly kingdoms that fail us, that feel fragile, that are shaking. He's building an eternal kingdom in your heart right now if you'll let him in. What is the ultimate mark that God is king in your life through his son, Jesus? What is the ultimate mark, the ultimate sign? What was it back then to David when it was an earthly kingdom? Peace. Peace. You've given up control of your kingdom. You've received his. And no matter what is happening in your world right now, and no matter what might happen in your world right now, in the future, you have peace because you are part of an eternal, graciously given, indestructible kingdom with the greatest shepherd king who is taking care of you. And so you don't worry. You know you're safe with this king. You can't be safe with any other earthly ruler. You don't know if they're going to let you down. They're going to let themselves down. They don't know what the future holds. This one does, and he'll never let you down. And even when you let him down, he'll forgive you. So you can stop worrying about your money. You can stop worrying about your safety and your houses and your children and your plan. You can stop worrying about your job and your career and your future. It's not that these things don't matter, but you can stop worrying about them. Instead, you can seek and receive the kingdom and know peace when Jesus is in charge. 
he would say, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, the ultimate mark that you're in the kingdom, do not worry about tomorrow. But tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Do you see that each day, today, now, the kingdom is at hand. It's right now. It's not yet. It's not, it's not an hour ago. It's not an hour. It's now. The kingdom is now. It's always now. It's not tomorrow. It's today. It's not another person who might be on this call who should have been. It's you right now listening. The kingdom is now. Are you receiving it? Is Jesus your king? Have you given to him all those anxieties and those stresses? Have you given up control? Have you submitted to him? Are you seeking his kingdom first above whatever kingdom you could be building on earth? Even if you think you're building it for God, if you've gone, no, no, you're, you're in charge. It's your agenda. I surrender everything to you. Give up building your own kingdom and find peace and rest as you receive and you seek his. You know, one day the king will return and the spiritual kingdom that has started in our hearts will become a political kingdom as the whole earth. All the kingdoms in this world are swallowed up and are brought into the kingdom of God. And all sin and injustice and evil is banished by the perfect king in justice and righteousness. And the, war, the glory of God will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. And every desire of your heart that didn't come true or didn't even come close to being true. And every tragedy in your life and every loss and frustration and worry will be swallowed up in love, joy, in the beautiful presence of our Jesus, the king of all. But until that day comes, his kingdom of God is at hand. It's here now. Repent and believe. Seek first his kingdom and let us pray. May your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven and let it start now in our hearts. So let's take a moment just to stop and to pray and then we're going to sing. Just be quiet there where you are, allowing Jesus to be king. Asking for forgiveness where he hasn't been king. Giving over all those worries and fears. Surrendering your agenda. He wants to do something wonderful for you and in you, but it may not be what you have in mind. Lord Jesus, we praise you that you are the true king you're the king of this eternal kingdom that's indestructible we thank you for your grace we thank you that it's not all on our shoulders it's all on yours and as we give up control as we give over our lives to you your kingdom is now taking root in our lives and through us can spread and so we seek your kingdom first today we seek your priorities your agenda Forgive us for where we put other things on the throne of our lives and not you as our king. Forgive us for when the good things in our lives, our children, our homes, our, our holidays, our careers, our money and our friends and other things can become more important than you. They're really king. And thank you, Lord, that your rule is always a gracious, kind rule. One way you want to bring peace and blessing and security and assurance to our lives as we let go of other things and give ourselves to you. So we seek your kingdom today. 
And we ask that you would prepare us for that when your kingdom finally comes, that when you return or you call us home, we'd be ready to be part of that eternal kingdom that will last forever. So we thank you, Lord, for this chance to reflect. We thank you that the promises to David are true and, are, and, and, and you've kept them and they are ours in Jesus. The faithful love you promised to David, we can claim it's never going to be taken away from us because we're in his great son, Jesus. And in his name we pray. Amen.